You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. The airlock is sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the functional nerdverse. Patrick, this has been an interesting journey getting us to this particular episode, no? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I always love it when I can, I, can, I can do a theme with my Funko Pops. That's true. So again, because, you know, the, the Funko Pop Bop, which tends to happen during the intro theme, translates normally, somewhat poorly. Yeah, no, often, it's, often it's Baby Yoda. But this time we had our Jodie Whittaker Doctor Who and our Dalek because we have one of our most Doctor Whovian people that we know on. This is, this is Lynn Thomas from Uncanny Magazine. Lynn, how the hell are you? I am well, Tracy and Patrick. Thank you so much for having me on at very short notice. <laughs> I, I, I feel a little sad and bereft because all of my Funko Pops are several rooms away in the Doctor Who room. If I had known there was a Funko Pop Bop, I would have brought River Song to the party. Ah, I mean, she's very boppable. Spoilers. So that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so the, the specific reason, other than your general awesomeness, that we have Lynn Thomas on with us this week is that we are right smack dab in one of the great festivus times of the SFF world, the Uncanny Magazine Kickstarter. And we are in, good Lord, year nine? It's year, year nine. nine. Yes. Oh, wow. All right. So, all right. First things first. For a little context not necessarily here. in that order. Right, yes, but not necessarily in the order of first. So, I mean, for, for context here, although this is one of those perhaps needs no introduction thing, if you keep up with short fiction in the last, well, kind of decade in the world of SFF, you're probably aware of Uncanny Magazine. But what you may not, you're aware of the fact that, they, that they've won tons of awards, that they've been nominated time and again for their editorial team of Lynn Thomas and Michael Damian Thomas. We know that they've done great work through the, the Disabled Destroy and the Destroy series and so on and, and all sorts of great things. But there's probably a recurring piece of it that might be a little bit mysterious. In the world of SFF Awards, we have the best semi-prosine category and people have to, have to wonder what on earth is a semi-prosine and how does it differ from a magazine and what is happening here? So the very short answer is that semi-prosines are the kinds of magazines where the editors and publishers get paid last and often not at all. And the if you go into the Hugo Award rules, which are very specific because they were set up something like 20 years ago to move what was then Locust Magazine into a separate category because it kept winning Best Magazine and the other magazines apparently got cranky and they're all fandom plunged into war, rules get changed. Semi-Prozine is designed to be a category where... The presentation of the magazine is definitely professional. It is it is for sale. It is designed to be widely available and sold, but not everyone involved in the making of it gets paid. And the not everyone in the case of Uncanny is, well, Michael and me. You know, everybody else who is on our staff gets paid. It's often not enough, but they do get paid. We get paid eventually last when everyone else has been paid. So all of our Writers are paid a professional rate. All of our artists are paid a professional rate. Our beloved podcast producers who are dear friends of ours give us the friends and family discount because we couldn't afford them otherwise. But we, but as a result of that, we get an awesome podcast. And our editorial team and staff all get paid. So that's what makes a semi-pro scene. Basically, what it means is that it's a magazine that doesn't make any money. It doesn't really turn much of a profit. But, but we do it for the art because we believe in the art. I do remember hearing from the two of you a couple of years back that you managed to score pizza at the end of the cycle. Correct. It varies from year to year. Yeah. And some of it, you know, we, we, we've had we've had good years and bad years. And last year was not terrible. But I can absolutely confirm that if you take the number of hours that we put into the creation and maintenance of the magazine and you divide them up by the amount of money that we make, it's pennies an hour, typically. Yeah. Oh, sure. um, particularly for Michael, who is our day-to-day magazine runner and does all of the publicity and all of the advertising and a lot of the fiction work. I mean, I, he and I do the fiction work together, but he does an initial pass because I also still have a day job that provides things like health insurance. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm part-time on the magazine. He is full-time on the magazine and rest assured, 
nerdians we're not paid <laughs> we're not paid a whole lot based on the amount of time that we spend making this thing for you but we do it because we love y'all so so the listeners who are, are are having these you know fantasies of the glamorous life of the semi-prozine magazine yeah that's just uh, all you're gonna get is cynical laughter honestly <laughs> like i'm the person who submits the 1099s and does the taxes every year yeah, no. <laughs> you will not get wealthy running a periodical in this field, let me tell you. It, it's yeah. funny because we were talking a little bit before we hit record about uh, uh, conventions and, and doing different panels and people always asking me, how do you monetize a podcast? And, mm-hmm. and to be honest with you, my flippant answer every single time is like, oh, how do, how do you make money on a podcast? I said, be famous before you start it. Yep. That's how. Exactly. That exactly. how. It's like, yeah, okay. I, Conan, Conan O'Brien just sold his podcast network for millions of dollars. Yeah, because he was know? Conan O'Brien before Conan he did O'Brien. the podcast. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I had I had a I had someone I had worked with previously come up to me, I don't know, five, six years ago and was like, How do you how do you how are you so successful at doing Kickstarter? And I was like, Well, first you spend ten years building up a platform and getting known to a community. Yeah. Because that's what it was. You know, yeah. our, our Kickstarters go well in part because we have been around and been visible and been doing that kind of work that then people get excited about. So, yeah. So that's like the perfect kind of segue into one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. So sliding the digital dollar your way for nice there. Yeah. Well, well done. Uh, put that towards the pizza. So I one of the things that I wanted to to unpack with you here is sort of how the Kickstarter allows allows uncanny to generate the the kind of content that it does that's mm-hmm. basically led you to be one of the prestige magazines of the field right now sure so so what you know what are the nuts and bolts of the kickstarter that results in this product that has it's so energized and excited people so one of the things that we do uh, the kickstarter to be clear kickstarter is not our only source of income we also sell advertising we sell subscriptions through that big river company as well as through kobo and barnes and noble and you know, even you can even ask your local library. We're on overdrive. So like you can ask your lo- local library to buy back issues of Uncanny and they, they will do it. And we set the price at cover price because I'm a librarian in my day job and I don't host public libraries as a result of that. Kickstarter for us, though, the main thing for Kickstarter is that it allows us, because of the way we structure it, to pay for the base needs for publishing a year of Uncanny. So that's paying all of our authors. That is paying all of our cover art. That is paying our taxes on the income from Uncanny, as well as the fees for Kickstarter, and paying for some of the rewards that go out. We also have a Patreon. We also have subscriptions, as I mentioned, and we sell single issues and things like that. But the biggest part of the Kickstarter that's important for us is that a lot of venues have found it difficult to make their content available not behind a paywall. And what The Kickstarter does specifically for us, and it's designed to do that because we have over time built this community. The Kickstarter makes it possible for us to make all of our content freely available on our website so that anybody can read our stories, whether they subscribe or not. And to us, that is one of the most important things. So for us, the Kickstarter is a lot like your local PBS pledge drive. It's structured year to year, and it's very much along the vein of if you love this thing and you'd like another season here's where to pony up because that's really what we're doing. We are firm in that, you know, if we get to a point where our Kickstarter is not a sustainable way to raise sufficient funds to do the thing, that's the market telling us that it's time to go off into the, into the, into the East and to start again and do something else for a while. But as we have been blessed by a community of folks who really love what we do and love the fact that we make it available publicly to everybody you know, that's that's how we're entering year nine. Uh, and we're coming up on a milestone issue, too, which is issue number 50 for Uncanny, which, you know, it's kind of like when TV shows hit the syndication point, like you've got yeah. so many so many episodes that you can finally sell it elsewhere. Issue 50 feels like a really big deal for us. And not just because we're in our ninth year, but 50 feels like a milestone. It feels like it feels like we're turning into a real boy. You know, we're, 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 we're a real magazine. We didn't die. Yay. So that's, that's, that's a big deal for us. And we've structured our content for this year a little differently as a result of that. So as our backers who, who have joined us year after year know, typically we solicit a portion of our stories in each issue and 
poetry and essays, and then we're open to submissions for the other portion. What we're doing this year instead is that assuming we hit the correct stretch goal level for issue 50 to do this, it will be a big double issue. Uh, And it's a double issue that is all solicited. So what we've done is we've gone back to all of the authors that we have worked with in the first eight years of Uncanny, and we've selected a subset and said, hey, we think that you are the uncanniest of the uncanny authors, and we'd really love to solicit you for issue 50. And, you know, we, we asked a whole bunch of people, and many of them joyfully said yes. Some, of course, always, when you deal with solicits, sometimes folks decline for perfectly good reasons. And we have a really exciting lineup, but the, but the other part of it is that every other issue of year nine is going to be open submissions. We're not soliciting wow. any content outside of issue 50. So, so that, the good news is... Really fo- huge. Yeah, so that's really huge. It, it means that we've opened up a lot more slots for new fiction, new poetry, and uh, nonfiction for year nine to folks that are not solicited. But, you know, the solicited authors are a way for our readers to help them get excited about backing us for another year because there's a certain amount of our content that they know they're going to get and they get excited. And then we bring them things that they didn't know they were going to love because they haven't necessarily heard of that person who's relatively early in their career, but then they read it and they fall in love and we've done our job. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I, I think that's a great milestone move for you to have hit because you're sort of, you're offering something that's sort of the, the sweet spot between we know what our readers have wanted and what they've mm-hmm. sort of celebrated with us before. And we want to keep giving you that, but we know that as a prestige magazine, that we're, we're a moonshot for a lot of writers, that we're mm-hmm. the place where a lot of them want to find their work and position themselves. And we want to make that more possible for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I'm feeling that particularly keenly because shout out to my former student, Ana Maria Curtis, who made her uncanny debut in this last month's issue, mm-hmm. actually. Yep. So she's, She's been pretty successful as a a short fiction author over the last several years. She won the Dell Award. She's been in Clark's World a couple times. She's been in Strange Horizons. She's been around the block a little bit. Yeah. She's been recently she was on Beneath Ceaseless Skies. Mm -hmm. And now now she's gone to Uncanny. So she's got, you know, she's made the list and she's taken it twice. Yeah. And actually technically twice because she sold us a second story during this most recent submission. Ooh period that we had. So we just got a scoop. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be coming out in a later issue in, in I, I'm not even sure which issue it's going into at this point, because we have spreadsheets that tell me these things, and I don't have them currently open. Uh, I can't hold it all in my head. That's why spreadsheets exist. But I know that we have a second story by Anna Maria that is coming out because I just paid her for it. So that part I keep track of. <laughs> I thought this spreadsheets was... existed to bug me. Yes. Well, it's both. <laughs> So talking about the solicited stories Mm -hmm. from a behind the scenes standpoint, I'm really interested when you, when you get a lineup of people for, to be your solicited writers for Mm -hmm. a given season, so to speak, or a given year, do you know what they're going to give you for the story? Do they pitch them to you? You just like, it just, oh my God. No, what what we know is that, yeah, what we know is that we have asked them for a thing and we have an agreed upon deadline, which may or may not go whooshing by depending upon the writer in question. Sometimes deadlines get adjusted or things get moved to a later issue because life happened and the deadline didn't. And so, you, you, you know, as a recurring periodical, we have the ability to do that. But no, the vast majority of the time when we solicit someone, we just say, hey, we'd like a story from you. And then they say, here's a story. And there is no discussion of what the content of the story is going to be or what it's going to be about. Every once in a while, someone we've worked with will say, well, I have a couple of ideas. Which one would you like? Right. And, you know, we're always happy to have that conversation with folks and to, and to move them in a direction. Because if, you know, because we know behind the scenes that we have seven mermaid stories or, you know, we've got three time travel things coming up and maybe let's do something different with you. Because if you've got two ideas that are equally shiny, pick the one that isn't something we're already publishing kind of thing. But right. most of the time we have no idea. Absolutely none. Uh, and that's true for our cover artists as well, actually. We... General, we give our cover artists some guidelines in terms of like the dimensions of the of the art has to be such and such to fit the cover of the ebook, and we encourage them to use very bright colors because we think that that tends to look better in thumbnail. And you know, much like Bane books, we want you to be able to see uncanny covers in thumbnail from space. We 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 like them to pop visually in their tiny little JPEGs on the internets, and that's important to us. And we do, you'll notice on our covers, have a lot of sort of female presenting figures facing facing camera, as it were. 
but we don't give a lot of guidance beyond that. And the artist will come to us and say, I've got a couple of ideas, or here's a really rough sketch. What do you think? And I'm thinking this color palette. And, you know, we will, of course, give them feedback. But the vast majority of the time, we just say, hey, do you want to do a thing? And they say, when do you need it? And we say, this is the date. Here's the amount of money. And they go, great. And then a month beforehand, they'll say, what do you think of this? And, you know, sometimes we'll uh, tweak things slightly or, you know, we'll make a choice between a couple of different options. But with the vast majority of our content, we are not driving it in that specific kind of way. Nonfiction is a little bit different because people do pitch ideas to our nonfiction editor and then we make choices about what's timely and what might not work and all of that kind of thing and sometimes we'll go out and solicit somebody who is for example talking you know having having a very interesting twitter conversation somewhere and we're like you know that could be two thousand words for a hundred bucks we could make that work Mm -hmm. so we'll do things like that but it's the vast majority of the time we are at the mercies of what comes in across the transom, essentially. And and that's part of the fun, honestly, because reading submissions, which, you know, we, we, we are still reading submissions for short stories right now. Like we haven't done all of our buying. I still, I still have slush I have to get through in my copious free time. Reading submissions is the most fun part of the gig because you never, you literally never know what you're going to get. We, we don't like, I don't look at the cover letters. I look at the story first. And then I'll go back to the cover letter to get a little more information maybe. But I look at the story first and I and we read the story on its own merits and we're always opening a file and hoping that this is going to be the one that knocks our socks off. And the times when that happens, when you're when when I can turn to Michael and be like, my socks are across the room, we're buying this thing. Those are the happiest days. We love that part. That's our favorite part of of doing what we do. I feel like I just saw on Facebook Galen Dara dropping a art for a cover that she did for you guys mm-hmm. i feel like it just went out like she changed her profile pic to it or something and she okay does yes amazing art yep ah. yeah and um this is this is again a bit of a scoop because the kickstarter hasn't gone live yet but it will by the time you put this out um galen dara is our issue 50 cover artist oh, nice. specifically awesome. she was our very first cover artist too and you know she has been really wonderful in providing us with just fantastic cover art that we have loved and loved and loved. And, you know, she, she gets our aesthetic, I think is, is the best way to put that. Oh yeah. Our aesthetics vibe together in ways that make us happy collectively. I have squeed about this for years. She did my book cover. That's awesome. Yeah. She did my Mm -hmm. book cover. I commissioned it uh, because the publisher basically said, uh, we're going to do it. Or if you want, you can go out and commission art. They, they, and they did that as a <laughs> good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Know, kind of, and I went straight to her because we were right. friends and we'd known each other for years. And I said, I don't know if I can afford you. I would really love a, a book cover from you. And she mm-hmm. said, yes. And she, she basically, you know, did. And I told the publisher, I said, nope, I'm commissioning art. And they were like, oh, and you could tell they were not happy. Right. Because they're figuring they they're going to get something again. not great. Yeah. And then I sent them and they, they were just stunned. They were just right. stunned silence. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Her work is, is, I mean, we, we obviously, we don't, the, the rule of thumb at, at Uncanny in a general sense is we don't put out things that we don't love. So there is yeah. nothing that you will see that comes out in Uncanny that we are not firmly behind and that we aren't adoring of. Um, and that goes for all of the cover artists we have worked with, but Galen in particular is very much after our collective hearts because she yeah. just gets us. Yeah. I have a, I have a print of her of, of the, of uncanny number one's cover mm-hmm. that's in my dining room. Yeah. That's hanging. Yeah. I mean, we have a, we have a ton of her art on our walls in the house because one of the things that we do, one of the things that we, we do is that we print out the cover art for ourselves to, to put up <laughs> in the new house. We finally have enough walls for it all. <laughs> I, yeah. I actually, I, I got her to uh, do a print for me of the cover and mm-hmm. sign it. Yeah. Send it yeah. To me. Absolutely. And, uh, I have that too. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we were no- doing cover art prints as one of our backer rewards a few years back, and that got a little bit onerous based on how much uh, it costs versus the number of folks who wanted it, sadly. So we haven't done that for a while, mm-hmm. but we were doing it pretty steadily. And, you know, it's just, well, if we're already printing these for the Kickstarter, we'll just put off a couple of extras <laughs> for the rest of us, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oops. We've, our finger slipped on the number button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
So okay, that takes us to the backer rewards then. So I don't know if you want to tease specific or I mean, it's sure. not really going to be a tease because the, 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 the yeah, it'll be, it'll be live there. by the time folks yeah. see this. Yeah. But we're like, what are some of your favorite backer rewards that are coming out? Some of the ones that you're most excited about? Sure. That's going to require me to pull up a spreadsheet. Oh, we just <laughs> so that I get the information correct. So yeah. give me just a second to do that. But, um, I can tell you with certainty that we have several, we have a bunch of le- a bunch of levels that are always very popular, you know? So for folks where they are very much in the land of, I just want the dang magazine, don't bug me with anything else. We have a subscriber level for that, where that's what you get. You get the magazine periods, full stop, that's it. Um, and it gets sent to you usually about a week before it's published. That's roughly what our timeline tends to be. And you get the whole issue all at once, as opposed to on our website where it gets sort of parceled out half one month, half the next, so that there's always new content. However, we have something like 35 to 40 signed books that we will be making available to folks. Uh, That's usually at the $100 level. Mm -hmm. We also have some sets of books. One of the ones that, that we think will go pretty quickly is that we will have a, a fancy leatherback signed edition of the Graveyard Book from Neil Gaiman this year to offer. Ooh, oh, nice. As well as two copies of the Subterranean Press edition of Arkady Martin's A Memory Called Empire. So we're super excited about those, in addition to all of the other wonderful signed books and sets of books. So like, for those of you that are very much team, I read, I buy the whole series at once. We have several sets of books where it's an entire series. You can get the whole trilogy, all autographed, one go. Before you go on, I will throw out those subterranean special editions tend to be really, really cool. Yes, they are gorgeous. And they they are usually limited edition. Yep. And very difficult to get hold of. So, yep. you know, so it's it's a real treat when we have that. Yeah, that's awesome. Available. So, so we're very excited about that. We are doing once again online hangouts with editors and authors. We are offering a reward where you can get a little stuffed Hugo the cat or stuffed space unicorn to adorn <laughs> your desk. Uh, we have we have a Mexican cooking lesson from one of our contributors as well as a tarot reading. Uh, We have original illustrations that will be bespoke for the backer by Sam Miller. We have, let's see, we're doing another random pursuit party game. So if you are someone who listens to the incomparable network of podcasts and you like random pursuit, which is a trivial pursuit game, there's a, there's a, there's an episode of random pursuit that features me and our backers from last year that should be going out soon. And we're going to do it again this year because we all had such a great time. And we also do things like we have for writers who are interested, we do manuscript critiques. We have a whole bunch of authors that are signed up to do that. We have, let's see, we have an opportunity to be on this podcast. The, the, the third nerd is, yeah, is a but- slot that is available to someone who wants to, to do what I'm doing here on Functional Nerds for this year. So yep. yeah. And we also have things like we have levels where you can get every single one of our ebook back issues for one for one one low low discounted price, mm-hmm. as well as you know we will have add-ons and things like that. We haven't revealed them all yet, but there will be add-ons. There always are. There always are. We're just we we save them for a little later in the campaign, so that as as the the stuff that's that goes fast has gone, and people are sort of trying to figure out what they want to do, we can sweeten the pot a little bit. Yeah. So we have lots of opportunities to support the magazine in lots of different ways, but those are some of our more popular backer level. And this past year we did, we did masks. Um, so they're, they are actual custom printed space unicorn ranger core masks that I'm still in the process of mailing out to folks. Nice. And we are considering doing them again for this year. We haven't quite decided yet whether that's going to be what we do or whether we're going back to the enamel pins, but we do try for our folks that are at the sustainer level and above, which is $60 and up. We do, this is what the big mailing is. We, we mail them a postcard from the, from with the original art from one of our cover artists in any given year, along with something, a, a small token of our appreciation. So we've done, we've done patches, we've done enamel pins, we've done the masks. I may find something else that is relatively lightweight to mail that would be intriguing. And if, if I can come up with that in the next couple of days, we'll do that. But I don't know yet. I have to go check out one of those tchotchke printing places and see what I can scheme up. But we always do something cool and fun so that folks can show their space unicorn pride. That's awesome. So 
Oof. I feel like that's <laughs> I know, about right? the most co- that's about the ask a little question, right? Insert a nickel <laughs> <laughs> and go. <laughs> right. Yeah, just just wind up Lynn and, and let her go. I feel like this is the most comprehensive tour of a Kickstarter that that I've sort of ever gotten before, which is which is super cool. And I'm always really excited when when the Uncanny Kickstarter happens, not just because I'm like, ooh, there's more Uncanny happening. And, and I'm also selfishly motivated in lots of ways because I've used tons of Uncanny material, both from the past and new things that come out in the teaching that I do, but also because this this Kickstarter more than I think any other that happens with some regularity in the SF community seems to really sort of bring out the goodwill of the community. Mm-hmm. Like people just sort of come from everywhere to to retweet it, to share it, to mm-hmm. to boost it in a variety of ways and to sort of say like, I, I love this thing. Let me talk to you about this thing that I love and that I want to see more of. And that kind of goes back to what you were talking about, about laying that groundwork of the relationships and and, mm-hmm. and meeting people and making sure that you you come into the community with people knowing who they're dealing with and that that they know uh, what you are and what you're trying to create. Right. And and that's I think that's something that's very important to to all of us on on Team Space Unicorn is that you know we recognize that we are part of a community and you know it has its ups and downs obviously no community is perfect but at the same time our our impetus in pretty much everything we have done creatively in the Thomas household, whether you're looking at the, you know, the early nonfiction books that I did or Uncanny Now, the impetus is always, I loved this so much I needed to share it with you. It's always that at its base. At, at its, so we are fundamentally as nerdy as it comes because of that, because it's always that impetus of, I loved this thing so much, I decided to make a thing based on it. I love this thing so much, I must share it with you because I hope it will make you as happy as it makes me. And that's always where we're coming from with Uncanny. And, you know, that's where that's where we have come from in the other things that we've been part of, like podcasts and, and other books that we've done and stuff like that. It's always that fanish impulse of, I love this so much that I felt the need to take to take creative action in response to it. And that's where it comes from. And we've been deeply grateful for the support of the community over the past eight years going into our ninth year. It's one of the things that I that is honestly really joyful about doing the Kickstarter on the fulfillment side, I should say, because I'm in the middle of that now for year eight. So um, if you're one of our year eight backers, I'm like two thirds done with mailing things out. It's literally Patrick and Tracy can see behind me the mailing supplies for so the stuff. yeah so for the stuff. one person operation that is me stuffing envelopes and printing labels because that's what it is. I physically am the person who fulfills the Kickstarter for anything that is physical. You know, so rest assured, I'm in the middle of it. It's nearly done. But one of the things I love about doing fulfillment is that we always have a sort of in our surveys for every level, there's a there's a notes field that is just like, is there anything else that we need to know? Like, you know, because sometimes folks ask questions and need answers and or my address might change. Please ping me before you mail things or anything like that. But one of the best things that comes out of that for me personally is that folks who, you know, we don't know personally, they're just folks who love what we do and who kicked us, who who kicked us, who backed us on Kickstarter, where what they're writing in the notes is you guys are great. Please keep doing this. And we love your magazine so much. And, you you know, space unicorns are the best. And it's the, it's <laughs> when you're in the slog of sending out your your literal 600th package, having that cheerleading is invaluable, I have to say. Mm-hmm. It's it's really important for morale here in the Space Unicorn Ranger Corps uh, headquarters, but also it's good reassurance creatively that yeah. you know as much as we we recognize that it's important to provide this platform and this venue for writers, we target uncanny to readers and the people that we hear from in our Kickstarter are our readers. And we get feedback from them that we can't get when people subscribe, right? Because, you know, when you subscribe, you've pressed a button to subscribe through waitlist books or through Amazon or, or whatever mechanism you're using. And we love that. We're grateful for that. Like, I am all for the no must, no fuss. Just give me the magazine and get out of my way, folks, too. We value them very deeply. They are part of why we can keep doing what we do. But at the same time, we don't necessarily know what they think, right? They aren't necessarily sharing their opinions about our work that we know of anywhere. Whereas with the Kickstarter, because there's this option for messaging, we we hear back directly from our readers. And that is one of the most important things to us because that's they're our audience. You know, I mean, we, we, 
we work really hard to provide content that is interesting to both people that are on the creative side and folks that just want to consume creativity yeah. and to, to, to do that joyfully. And so for us, hearing from our readers in particular is huge because there are, you know, every thing that you do in late stage capitalism has some, has some dark sides to it and has some moments where you're like, why, why do I do this thing? Why do I spend 30 days shouting myself hoarse to promote this thing in the hopes that, that I won't get seven emails three days after it closes going, you had a Kickstarter. I missed it. Is it too late? <laughs> Literally happens every year. We love you folks. Just back us on Patreon. If, if following our Kickstarter is too hard, it's cool. We'll, we'll love you either way. It's all good. But yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. And, you know, Michael handles most of the promo during that 30 days of shouting. I make sure that he remembers to like get fed and yeah. eat a food, <laughs> eat a food and drink, drink a liquid. water and have a shower and things like that. Yeah. I, I'm in charge of life stuff a little more than, than is typical in our household during Kickstarter month because he's busy doing all of that stuff. And it's a lot of extra work. And then, you know, in June and July, he's backing me up and making sure I have the envelopes I need and that I don't get too many paper cuts and he kisses them better when I do. And, you know, it, it's <laughs> because because it is a big it is a big process and it's it's time and it's it's energy and it's labor. And we recognize that when each of us is doing that particular part of the work in the same way that, you know, he hands me a glass of wine when this when the taxes are submitted immediately. Like, you know, I come back from the accountant, he's at the door with the glass of wine because I've done the taxes for the year because that's one of my jobs on the magazine. So that feedback is is important. It's very important to us because we all need positive reinforcement in the world. There, you know, when everything is on fire, having someone turn to you and say, you know, I really value what you do is huge. It's just huge. Yeah. And we're deeply grateful for that. You can't put a price on it, but you know, you can't put a Kickstarter out there. Yes, you can do that. Yes, we can. And we do annually right now. <laughs> See, see, Lynn. Lynn is so much stronger than I am because when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like, "I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else." Oh, that happens I, internally, but I have a script. <laughs> I have scripts that allow me to very graciously say, "Thank you so much." While inside, I'm screaming and going, "They must mean somebody else. I'm a fraud. It's completely impossible. It's certainly not me." They think I'm Mary Robinette Kowal. I bet you know. <laughs> That that's usually what's going on in my brain. I'm I'm just I because I did community theater as a kid. I'm I've gotten better at covering it so that people don't feel like I'm diminishing their praise. That's yeah. really weird because I also think that they've mistaken me for Mary Robinette Kowal. It happens all the time. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't get that problem, but you know. Well, I, I'm starting to be mistaken occasionally for Sarah Pinsker too. Now that I've gotten glasses, um, because Mary Robinette oh. doesn't always wear her glasses, and now yeah. that I have glasses and I did not before. Yeah, and Sarah and video I, thing being what yeah. it is. Yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing yeah. a little bit of that, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. When Sarah and I have had our our haircuts in reasonably similar time frames um from the back or from the side if people aren't paying attention, mm, I have yeah. been mistaken on occasion for Sarah Pinsker. And that's not yeah. a bad thing. Like it you know, we find it funny because that's just how it is, but it happens occasionally. Especially if I happen to wear my the one flannel shirt I own. Because I only oh, have yeah, one. That's, that's peak Sarah. Right? Yeah, it's peak yeah. Sarah. Yeah. It's very much her look. Whereas, you know, with Mary Robinette, because I tend to have similar uh, dress sense to her. Yeah. Cardigan, A-line skirt. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I, I lean into the vintage librarian thing and Mary Robinette does as well to, in, in her own way. But yeah, because of that, we are often mistaken for each other, especially if our hair happens to be around the same length at the same time. Or if we're both wearing matching Regency dresses, but that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. All right. So we just got done with like a wonderful and well-earned monologue from you about the, the joy of doing things because they bring you squee and they, mm -hmm. and, and you love them and wanting to share what you love with others. That sounds to me like let's do picks of the week. You want to do picks of the week? I think it's time for picks of the week. Picks of the week. I don't think that uh, Lynn needs like modeling or guidance from me uh, about you know, <laughs> how to talk about the thing that makes you happy and brings you joy. But 
you know, just in case, I'll go first here with um, I'm going to go with a television show. And before anybody gets too excited <laughs> here, because I need to buffer people's expectations, as we all know, I'm bad at television. Um, this is, again, probably a television pick that some people will find disappointing, but I apologize for nothing. I have chosen Iron Chef, The Quest for the Iron Legend uh, <gasps> on so Netflix. Good. It is so good. It's so good. It makes me so happy. So, okay. So what, what Lynn and I have just dissolved into Goo Goo's about, um, you're probably familiar with the whole concept of the Iron Chef uh, cooking show, which debuted in the 90s in Japan originally, and then it sort of imported in the early aughts into the United States. Um, and, and it's kind of been quieted for a while and not really around. And now it's back um, with these, this sort of upgraded kitchen stadium madness. Basic notion behind it is you've got a bunch of really top flight Michelin star type chefs, each of whom specializes in different sorts of cuisines and whatnot, um, who are kind of the uh, kitchen gladiatorial combatants, as it were, in kitchen stadium where different other um, accomplished chefs from around the United States, sometimes around the world, are tagged to come in and compete against them in a themed, and both to ingredient and sometimes to, to aspects of cuisine, cook-off, where they have generally about an hour to produce a certain number of dishes and a full meal presentation to a group of judges. Um, and Iron Chef Quest for an Iron for the Iron Legend has a bit of a twist to it in that these various challengers who are competing against the Iron Chefs who are deployed against them. Um, the, the idea behind it is as each one of them competes and some of them are defeated and some of them win and have points assigned to them and whatnot, the ultimate one with the most points gets to face off against all five of the Iron Chefs at once in a final cooking battle. Uh, now, this recommendation comes to you with me having watched every single episode of Iron Chef Quest for an Iron Legend except the last one. Uh, so I have not yet seen the final battle. So I cannot report on that. But if you are the sort of person who thinks food is fun and interesting and and especially um, like if you've ever been into like the weird um, like how, how does food actually work? Like like the cooking of it. One of the one of the guest uh, recurring host people is Alton Brown, uh, who of course has a background in in sort of chemistry and food science and stuff, and he loves sort of talking about the sort of ins and outs of why doing X with Y results in Z. Um, but if you find all that sort of stuff sort of fun to geek out about, and you also like sort of weird, campy, over the top, intense things that don't need to be a game show but are 100% a game show this is for you it's on Netflix you're welcome I I haven't mentioned it in a long time but I, I used to talk about this quite a bit uh Alton Brown is my favorite chef uh, of yeah. the celebrity chefs he really is I've loved almost everything that he's done uh one of my claims to fame is that he actually talked to me on Twitter once Oh, like like and, with a reply button and everything. Yes. And if you know, wow. he, he would never type anything on Twitter. He always wrote things on uh, post-it notes Post-it yep. notes, and took pictures. Mm -hmm. And he did something one time for, uh, you know, like the perfect Mother's Day meal or something. And I responded to him because I'm like, well, that's not what my mom wants. Like she wants biscuits and gravy and scrambled eggs. And, and he replied to that and we had a little conversation. So, you know, it's like he is absolutely my favorite. He's a nerd. He's geeky. I will watch anything that he does. I, I actually wish that he would do the road trip again. Because mm. the couple times on Food Network, he did the road trip where he got on a motorcycle with some friends. They all had their own bikes and uh, like did a little cross country trip where they stopped in different towns and had different food from different places. Oh, I love that show. I mean, and then Good Eats. Come on, yeah. It's but that Good Eats was was um, mm -hmm. definitely. I mean, it was it was the most. It, it was. I remember watching it when I was a kid and and being fascinated by it because it was sort of like what if Mister Wizard did Chef? Yes, um, and that was that was huge for me because I'd never seen anything like that before. It was Absolutely. the only time. The only time I have ever seen anyone acknowledge. Why? And, and, and like acknowledge the fact that you can't add sugar to tea, to iced tea, mm. and why you can't mm -hmm. add sugar. Yeah, why it's not it going to melt. Don't like, even try. Yeah. He explained it. And, and he, he, he actually has a recipe for a syrup that yeah. he makes. And so he's like, it, you make 
you make unsweet tea and then you make the syrup. And anybody who wants sugar in their tea, they take a dollop of the syrup and they mix and the syrup breaks down. He explained the whole damn thing. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> no one had ever explained it before. Yay. Yeah, I'm a better cook because of Alton Brown. I learned a lot from Good Eats in terms of just sort of technique and why why you have to do things one way and not another. And the same thing with his cookbooks. I mean, I've got a couple of his cookbooks and they're very much... While I would not say that they are the most sort of adventurous in terms of flavor profiles, um, in terms of explaining why your cake doesn't rise if you do it this way instead of that way, it's been invaluable. Yeah. <laughs> My cakes come out so much better because I understand the different methods now. <laughs> it also it takes some of it away from like the weird like grandma's mysteries kind of thing. Yes, like, I do it with love and be like, yeah. well, but yes, yeah. But also, how many eggs is that? <laughs> How many eggs does that require and what does a stiff peak look like? Yes. I bought the mashed potato thing that you smash. You know Mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about? I bought that because of him. Because I wanted to do his recipe for Thanksgiving for the mashed Mm -hmm. potatoes. He's also a Doctor Who fan, by the way. Oh, God. This is so unsurprising to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm also a big fan of Cutthroat Kitchen because then you got to see, well, Naughty Alton and that worked for me. So, you know. Yeah. Everybody has a little bit of an evil side and he has an entire series where he gets to show it off. So gleefully, <laughs> gleefully. Yeah, it was gleefully. it was a lot of fun. It was oh, a yeah. lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Alton Brown. Love him. All That's right. Well, then you're all warmed up and ready to go. So what's your pick of the week? <laughs> OK, so I have two picks of the week. Um, one is a pick with a minor complaint, which is that um, I had been following the Muppet history Twitter stream for quite some time because the Muppets are part of my childhood and they give me joy. And anything I can add to my Twitter stream that makes me happy, I add. So Muppet History has been there for a while. And at some point, the algorithms showed me um, the official Twitter for Fozzie Bear. And I followed that because it's nothing but Fozzie Bear jokes, which is exactly what my Twitter day needs. Um, However, I have a minor complaint, which is that my favorite Muppet is Rolf the dog. And he does not seem to have an official verified Twitter. And that makes me sad. No, this is bad. Yeah. So, so, dear universe, we need Rolf the dog on Twitter. We've got Kermit, we've got Piggy, we've got Gonzo. Like almost all of the other Muppets have their own Twitter stream. No Rolf. That mm-hmm. makes me a little sad. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the so second so thing is, I wanted. So hold on. So, is the official okay. pick the Muppet History or the the Fozzie? Bear? No, Muppet History is a fan account, but they just do a lot of really fun memes and gifts and things, and it just gives me joy. Um, and uh, the but the. Stream for Fozzie is a verified Twitter account. Like so blue check verified. Blue check the- verified. Someone who owns the rights to Fozzie is doing the thing. It okay. is amazing to me that there are entire biologically intact humans who cannot get blue check verified to save mm-hmm. their lives. And they're like, but this felt creature where you stick your hand up its butt, he's legit. Yep. Absolutely. You know why? You know why? Because he is approved by the corporate overlords that own that butt that you stick your hand up. That's right. He went to Twitter and he said, waka, waka, waka. Uh, And they're like, oh, no one else. And they're like, that proves it. It's definitely you. It's definitely you. Yep. Absolutely. So that's one of them. The other thing is that um, I have to shamefacedly admit that besides reading submissions and the the uncanny based work, um, during the pandemic, I have not read a ton of science fiction. I just have not had the brain and the heart to really wrap myself around it. Um, but I have begun re-entry and my re-entry book is one that, that is out already and has been quite popular. So it's, it, but it made me happy. And so I'm going to talk about it. And that is Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with it, uh, it is functionally alternate universe portal fantasy to Jurassic Park beats Godzilla as a popcorn movie. (laughs) done well with good banter and likable characters who are all smart and interesting and do fun things. And your main protagonist is a person named Jamie who lifts things. So the, the most important member of the team who doesn't have any particular skills is your point of view character uh, while trying to function in a universe where the military and the government know that there's an alternate universe where kaiju exist and they're trying to science out of it and other things too and good things and bad things happen but the kaiju preservation society is there to take care of the kaiju so that when the kaiju mommy and the kaiju daddy love each other very much and they have kaiju babies the babies survive 
and have nuclear things to feed on. It's all good. Um, I sat down and read this in maybe two afternoons. It was a very, like very well paced, very tightly plotted, um, which, you know, this is not shocking to anyone who has read any of John Scalzi's other work. Mm -hmm. Um, But he, he has talked in interviews how he wanted this to be basically like a pop song of a novel. And it very much was, it gets in, it gets out. It does the thing exceedingly well in two and a half minutes and you're done and you feel good when you're done at the end of it. And so, um, That was that was my re-entry novel, was Kaiju Preservation good, Society. Nice re-entry. I started that in ARC the night before um, Scalzi came on to, to be with us on, mm-hmm. on the podcast, and I just didn't sleep uh, and went straight from closing the book to walking downstairs, turning on the Yeti mic and being like, John, John, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> And so if any of you were wondering, why is the episode with Scalzi like that? There you go. That's, that's why. Right. Because that so. you stayed up all night. Yep. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Fucking well, right. And, and, you know, having having been someone myself who who has read a ton of Scalzi stuff and I know a ton of st- stuff about him, I still say I get credit for not bothering him about Stargate Universe. Because I really wanted to ask him because he was a showrunner on Stargate Universe. I thought he and, was just a consultant. Well, uh, yeah, you're right. Consultant. I, I was thinking, but I still remember, I still remember the scene where the, the person on the ship has their consciousness in the body of someone on earth and they're going to see their family and mm-hmm. their guard is sitting in the car reading old man's war. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to, I so badly wanted to ask him, you know, any insights, anything, cause I love the whole Stargate universe, but I did. Mm-hmm. So I still get credit. I didn't, I didn't derail Tracy's on your. She was so into that book. I was just sitting there like, okay, let, let her squee, let her squee. (laughs) (laughs) He had to wait for me to kind of come down off the high and then pass out in the chair. And then he's like, okay, John, now that the adults in the room. (laughs) Yeah, that happens. Yeah. 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 But I mean, honestly, like I, I, as much as, as much as I value the the very thoughtful science fiction and fantasy that is out there, and there is plenty of it, and you know, if that is your jam and it's a thing you're looking for, there's so much to choose from, and I encourage folks to look for it and seek it out. Every once in a while, you just need a warm blanket and a cup of tea. Yeah. And um, for me, that's been important, this pandemic yeah. and, you know, pandemic that's not over. Um, so I, I reverted to a lot of romance reading and... Uh, Kaiju was the first step to getting back into more of the fluffier side of, of SFF. Cause that's, that's how I have to re-entry. I'm an emotional reader. So like I have to gird my loins when I'm ready to read something deep or heavy. And it's not that I'm not willing to do it. I was a literature major, like I'm all about it, but I have to be emotionally ready. And if I'm not like, if I'm going to pick up a Nora Jemison book, I need to be prepared. Like, <laughs> because I know it will be exquisite and important and really thoughtful and beautifully written. And I also know that it's going to shiv me, twist the knife, rip out my heart, set it on fire and then stomp it back out. And I need to be prepared for that. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds fine. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> yes. So uh, I, I tend to look for things that make me laugh uh, just because the last few years have been very hard. And uh, even even with the reading, like I, I got heavily into the Martha Wells murder bot stuff because mm-hmm. the audiobooks cracked me the hell up. I just loved those. But uh, right now they just launched uh, Only Murders in the Building season two. And this is, I'm going to try to get all the names right, because it's Steve Martin, Martin Short, Short. and Selena Gomez are the three main characters. And I always forget her name uh, because she's of a, she's of a a different generation than me. Like she's very important to people who are much younger than I am. And, but I love this show. I loved the first season. Season two is now here and now they are the prime suspects in a murder of the uh i think it's the president of the tenants association for the building is discovered dead in selena gomez's apartment uh it's it's you know spoiler alert that's the end of season one and now these three have been arrested and and they're the prime suspects and now they have to figure out like what happened and now there's even more deeper mysteries happening you know inside this building i adore this show (laughs) 
<laughs> I absolutely adore this show. It is is funny. It is, you know, it does tug on the heartstrings now and then. I think the three of them have an unbelievable chemistry. I am stunned by how good they are together. Uh, I know that Steve Martin and Martin Short are, are good friends and they've, they've toured together. They, they did a show together. Uh, at one point, that show was hilarious, by the way. I can't remember what streaming network it was on, but one of the networks carried it where they did a live show together. But they have such great chemistry. And then to bring Selena Gomez in and for the three of them to work so well together, I don't know. So it's that's on Hulu. Uh, this, probably by the time this dr- drops, the entire season will have dropped. Uh, I know there's several episodes right now, but I just, I love that show. I love it. Fantastic. Whew. This has been a, a, a roller coaster ride where we've mostly just stayed like really up here. Like we've been we've been very 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 cheerful in all of this. We kept the screaming to a minimum. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been good. Yeah, like sometimes we get a little sometimes we get a little intense. Um, but all right, <laughs> folks. So if you're listening to this, it is not too late for you to go and uh, back Uncanny Magazine through their Kickstarter. Uh, tell them everything they need to know, Lynn. Well, you can find us on kickstarter.com. Look for Uncanny Magazine. It'll be, it'll say year nine. It'll have some really cool art on it. And our tagline is 250 and beyond because we're not above doing that. Nice. It's been really awesome having you on, Lynn. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Well, time, probably past time for a new bumper. If you like this episode, thanks. (laughs) We liked making it for you. There's lots of ways you can support us moving forward if you did like this episode. You could give us a review at Apple or Google Podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, etc. There's lots of places out there. Wherever you listen to this podcast would be a great spot to go. Give us a couple stars, write a little review, tell folks how great we are. It would help. You could follow us on Twitter. Our account there is at FN underscore podcast. If you do that, please help us boost the signal by retweeting our stuff. You could take a look at our Facebook page and click like on it. Eh, I don't do a lot there, but it's a necessary evil. You could back us over at patreon.com slash functional nerds and throw a couple bucks our way each month. You could tell your friends about us and turn them onto the show. Any or all of that would be awesome. And I would really appreciate it, Todd. Now that this episode is over, you could also consider checking out our friends over at Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle put out an episode a week, just like we do, and they talk to writers, artists, and creatives from all over the place. They have a huge back catalog of episodes and have a lot of fun doing it, which comes through in their weekly episodes. So check them out over at beyondthetrope.com. As always, thanks for listening. And don't forget to tip your server on the way out. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. Oh, for God's sake. Patrick Louise. (laughs) Okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> the whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. I'm so excited. <laughs>